After living in Shanghai for 16 years, an American family decides to leave the Chinese city they call home. They explain what became the last straw. China announces its first case of a COVID-19 subvariant in Shanghai. Heavy restrictions are coming back to the city, while locals fear going back under lockdown. Beijing voices four preconditions for improving China-Australia relations. Australia's Prime Minister responds. And one man says he witnessed a patient being prepared for live organ harvesting in a Chinese military hospital. The non-consenting donor was still alive. Welcome to China in Focus, I'm Tiffany Meyer. The Kay family from the U.S. are part of a wave of residents departing Shanghai, leaving behind their homes and memories. The wave of departures is driven by two years of strict COVID-19 curbs, including a crushing two-month lockdown. Here are the details. We'll miss it so much. It's those little things, you know, the, the person who hands you your dumpling, the person who... All these people that you see on a daily basis that are just part of your rhythm here. I just want to capture those memories and take them with me. After 16 years living in Shanghai, American expat Heather Kay and her family are part of an exodus of both foreigners and locals driven out by China's unshifting COVID-0 policy that's seen two years of strict curbs, border controls, and a crushing two-month lockdown. For many, this lockdown was the final straw. Some opted to leave in the midst of it, stunned by how hard it was to even get food delivered or fearing separation from family members should they be infected with COVID. Others, like the Ks, opted to wait it out. But in the end, the deteriorating health of her parents back home added to the growing list of reasons to leave. It was sort of a perfect storm of those decisions. Talking to people who were, you know, scheduled to move in this summer, um, they, they are not. They are going to Singapore, they're going to Bangkok, they're going to alternative countries to still service APAC, you know, to be part of, of the APAC leadership. But, you know, being based here, so many people can't really do their jobs anymore because they do require so much travel. According to the European Chamber, the number of foreigners in China has halved since the pandemic began. It predicts that number could halve again this summer, with few international workers coming in to replenish the numbers leaving. Heather and her husband moved to Shanghai from New York in 2006 for a one-year adventure. 16 years later, they both speak Mandarin, run businesses here and own a flat. For their daughters, this city is the only home they've known. I would describe Shanghai as just like my home, really. Um, I've lived here for so long and for my entire life. I think it's, yeah, it's going to be a difficult change. We're so thankful for all of our amazing years here and look forward to coming back soon. So we want to say goodbye, Shanghai. The Kays bought a new house in Washington, D.C. during the two-month lockdown. Upon landing in the U.S., Heather and her daughters all tested positive for COVID. But none of them have regrets about their move. 
And there are people still struggling to leave Shanghai. Some areas in Shanghai have been put back under lockdown in recent days. Under those orders, authorities quickly shut down certain neighborhoods, sometimes without informing the residents ahead of time. A video published on Chinese social media caught a Western woman and a Chinese man from Shanghai on camera. The two were in a rush to get to the airport and catch a flight. But the entrance to the neighborhood was locked, and no one on site could open the door. A COVID-19 subvariant has made its way to Shanghai. It's called BA5. Now, all flights are canceled in the city, while authorities have ordered mass virus testing and the closing of residential compounds. Some locals say they're afraid of going back under lockdown. Let's zoom in. Shanghai's first case of the BA5 subvariant was reportedly found in the city last Sunday. That's according to the vice head of Shanghai's health commission. Now the city is under fear of lockdown again. Some compounds where the infection was found were already blocked off with wires and metal sheeting. At the same time, all flights from Shanghai to other cities in China have been canceled. The discovery is driving ramped-up restrictions in the city starting Tuesday. The rules require mass virus testing for residents in eight major Shanghai districts. As for those who may have come into close contact with confirmed patients, isolation hospital wards have relaunched to receive them. Shanghai's population was released from an earlier months-long confinement only weeks ago. As of Monday, a total of 54 new infections have been discovered in Shanghai. That's based on the latest updates from Shanghai's Health Commission website. The numbers mark a record high since May. Dr. Anthony Fauci warned that the BA5 subvariant can substantially evade neutralizing antibodies. He also suggested it targets both vaccinated and infected groups. Symptoms of BA5 include runny nose, headache, sore throat, cough, and fatigue. Next, let's head over to the Indo-Pacific region. Foreign ministers from China and Australia met over the weekend. The meeting marks their first talk since Australia's new prime minister was elected in May. The Chinese side blames the former Australian government, the Morrison administration, for the deterioration of China-Australia relations. Given that background, China brought up four requirements for Australia during the talks, which Beijing said would improve cooperation. To follow them, China said Australia must, one, insist on seeing China as a partner rather than an opponent. Two, insist on getting along by seeking common ground while reserving differences. Three, insist on not targeting China, nor being subject to target China by a third party. And four, insist on building a positive and pragmatic societal public opinion base toward China. Here's what Australian Prime Minister Anthony Albanese said about China's requests. Oh, look, uh, Australia. Uh, doesn't respond to demands, uh, we respond to our own national interest. I'll say this, we, we will cooperate uh, with China where we can. I want to build good relations with all countries, uh, but we will stand up for Australia's interests when we must. On the other hand, the Australian government has attempted to persuade China to lift its heavy tariffs on Australian goods, including wine, coal, lumber and other exports. Those tariffs reach as high as 218 percent on bottled Australian wine imports through 2026. The penalties are largely seen as retaliation, imposed after the former Australian government called for an investigation into the origins of COVID-19. 
Australia's new administration has shown interest in improving Australia-China relations. It remains to be seen whether Australia will fulfill China's demands. Worth noting, during the G20 summit, China chose to hold bilateral talks with Australia over its neighbors South Korea and Japan. The dark side of the organ transplant market. A Japanese witness says he saw a non-consenting organ donor drugged and intentionally injured so he wouldn't be able to escape. Here's Entity's Jane Whirl with more. And just a warning, some viewers may find the following content disturbing. As evidence mounts, the Chinese regime continues its lucrative organ trade from prisoners of conscience. A former criminal gang member in Japan recalls witnessing it. It was in 2007 that his friend's brother's liver failed, and they desperately tried to find him a liver transplant. To have a liver transplant, if you were to do it, the only option would be to do it in America, France or China. But the waiting time is very long in America and France, and he couldn't wait. It also costs a lot, and the regulations are very strict. So we chose Beijing, China. In Beijing, there is a military police hospital where they receive Japanese people. What about the donor? They said, we can have it ready straight away. He says the family of the patient found the albumin from the Chinese hospital. A protein needed for a liver transplant wasn't good enough. So Sugawara helped them buy the solution in Japan and smuggle it into Beijing with the sanction of the Chinese hospital. The day before the scheduled surgery, he was asked if he'd like to take a look at the donor. When I opened the curtain, the donor was sleeping, drugged. He was sleeping. He had surgery to seven tendons in both of his hands and feet the day before. I asked why. One reason was to prevent him from running away. Also, if a donor is tense, the body would shrink, which isn't good for the organs. That's the reason for this surgery. Then leave the patient in a hazy state with anesthesia like a drug. A young and very good liver, he said. I thought, terrible. He said, there are many people in China, so we can have donors. We can prepare matching ones. And there are so many bad people who have to die, so best to utilize them. When he asked the doctor what the man had done, the doctor said he's from a terrorist group. And after pressing more, he answered, Falun Gong. Falun Gong is an ancient spiritual practice that's based on the principles of truthfulness, compassion and tolerance. Falun Gong practitioners have been brutally persecuted under the Chinese regime since 1999. Doctors killed. In 2019, a People's Tribunal held in London found that Falun Gong practitioners were probably the main source of supply for forced organ harvesting, and there was evidence of mass medical testing of the Uyghur ethnic group. There are reports that say the Chinese regime is targeting the Uyghur ethnicity for organ harvesting to market them to recipients in Saudi Arabia. Investigative journalist and author of the book The Slaughter, Ethan Gutman, says the medical community needs to be more aware about how the Chinese regime works. This is a, a deep corruption of medicine. Uh, I, I shouldn't even have to say it's such a thing. It's so obvious. Uh, but the medical world has chosen to obfuscate and to ignore the issue. And... Uh, and unfortunately, they find it very hard to climb down from the position that, you know, we should work together with the Chinese to solve this. Investigations show China's organ transplant program to be one of the largest in the world. So far, a handful of countries have passed legislation that would stop their citizens from travelling there for organ tourism. 
Zhang Waro, NTD News. China has seen a few recent cases of bird influenza, all of them infecting pigs. The strain is called H9N2. Now, a study by the University of Hong Kong says the virus is recombining with pig flu, producing a virus that may be able to transmit between humans and animals. A research article was published by the School of Public Health at Hong Kong University. It warns that China should continue to monitor the swine influenza virus. From over 800 pig nasal swab samples, researchers detected an A strain last August, called H3N2. Its base gene segments come from H1N1, the flu variant that's known to quickly replicate in the human respiratory system. The following month, researchers isolated influenza A virus, a reassortment of multiple swine flu lineages, including H9N2. Studies show the internal genes derived from H9N2 may contribute to animal-to-human transmission. China's commercial capital of Shanghai was among dozens of cities baking in scorching temperatures on Tuesday. Unusually hot weather buckled roads and drove people to seek places to cool off. By 11 a.m. local time, nearly 70 cities, including Shanghai, had issued red alerts for excessive heat, the highest in a three-tier warning system. That level signifies forecast temperatures of more than 40 degrees Celsius. That's 104 degrees Fahrenheit in the next 24 hours. Construction and other outdoor work are to be halted. Shanghai warned its population of 26 million to prepare for hot weather this week. That says the city is still fighting sporadic outbreaks of COVID-19. Since record-keeping began in 1873, it has only seen 15 days of temperatures exceeding 104 degrees. China is facing a summer of contrasts this year, with heat waves and heavy rainfall taking turns across the country. Authorities citing climate problems have warned of potential disasters from mid-July, usually the hottest and wettest time of year. In Chongqing City, an area known as China's second furnace, the roof of one museum got so hot it melted. Roofing tiles started popping off as the heat dissolved the underlying tar. Chongqing authorities have deployed water spraying trucks through the sanitation department to keep roads cool. Coming up with tensions in the Korean Peninsula on the rise, the U.S. and South Korea are joining together to flex their military might. That's by hosting joint drills for the first time in the last five years. And over in mainland China, authorities rejected a couple's request to help find their long-kidnapped son. More on that after the break, here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. The U.S. is deploying its most advanced fighter jets to South Korea. U.S. Forces Korea, or USFK, released photographs of F-35A stealth fighters arriving in South Korea last week. It's their first public visit since 2017, as the two allies increased joint military drills. A USFK spokesperson said it was the first public deployment of the aircraft to South Korea since December 2017. The stealth fighters will be in South Korea for 10 days. South Korea's president has sought to increase displays of military power, including joint drills. That's to counter a record number of missile tests conducted by North Korea this year. 
North Korea also appears to be preparing to test a nuclear weapon for the first time since 2017. The country has denounced the joint U.S.-South Korea drills as an example of hostile policies and says the drills show Washington's offer to negotiate with Pyongyang without preconditions is hollow. India's anti-money laundering agency says it seized 119 bank accounts over tax evasion. It concerns almost $60 million worth of money from Indian businesses linked with Chinese smartphone maker Vivo. The Indian Enforcement Directorate said Vivo India transferred almost $8 million or almost 50 percent of its total turnover outside the country, mainly to China. The directorate says it was done to avoid paying taxes in India. It conducted searches in 48 locations belonging to Vivo India and 23 related entities. That's after an initial probe found that shareholders used forged identification documents and falsified addresses at the time of incorporation. Vivo India's employees, including some Chinese nationals, did not cooperate with the search proceedings. The directorate says they attempted to abscond, remove, and hide digital devices. Vivo India was incorporated in August 2014 as a subsidiary of a Hong Kong-based company. The directorate says all of the company's directors fled India in 2018 and 2021. A family of three still searching for its fourth member over three decades later. Chinese authorities reportedly turned down a plea from one couple looking to find their long-kidnapped son. The infant was taken by the Chinese state while the country's one-child policy was still in effect for what authorities called social adjustment. Here's more on their story. A document is circulating wildly on Chinese social media. It's a rejection notice directed toward one couple's request for authorities to help find their long-kidnapped son. Their story goes back to 1990. At the time, the husband and wife were staying in a hotel with their 15-year-old daughter and one-year-old son. According to the mother, three women and two men suddenly burst in and took their infant son from her arms. Since then, the family has been searching for him, but still haven't been reunited 32 years later. In another attempt to search out their lost son, the couple visited their local petition department, an agency that handles citizens' requests to the Chinese state. There, they asked to file a case. In response, the department issued the document on Tuesday. It states that the 1990 incident wasn't a kidnapping, rather that authorities had removed the child for what was called social adjustment. The document goes on to say no records were kept on children whose parents violated the one-child policy and thus had children taken away by the state. Because of these reasons, their request to file a claim was rejected. China's infamous one-child policy was in effect from 1980 to 2016. Taking a closer look at the so-called social adjustment mentioned in the document, a former Chinese lawyer likens it to state-organized human trafficking. The so-called adjustment is essentially human trafficking. Government departments and government workers they organize for that large-scale human trafficking. In order to make it legal, legitimate and rationalized, they always have to fabricate a high-sounding reason. Lai also pointed out that from the legal point of view, taking the child was a criminal act. 
Even if you violate the one-child policy, according to the far-left family planning policy decades ago, you can only be fined. No laws, regulations gave power to any local authorities or individuals to take humans as a commodity, as a wealth or other social resources, and use them for so-called social adjustments. That's absolutely baseless. Local authorities responded after the document drew strong public backlash on social media. The area's Municipal Health Commission said it's researching the social adjustment policies back to 1980, while local police said they filed a case on the couple's son. The Pakistan military has reported defects in four warships bought from China. They are said to fail when firing missiles. Let's take a look. At least four frigates the Pakistani Navy purchased from China are defective. That's according to a report from the Eurasia Times. The finding is based on analysis from European expert Valerio Fabri. He noted that Pakistan signed a deal with China in 2005 to build F-22P or Zulfiqar-class frigates. They were sold for $750 million and delivered between 2009 and 2013. Three of the ships were acquired from the China Shipbuilding Trading Company. One was built by Pakistan's Karachi Shipyard and Engineering Works under a technology transfer agreement with China. These frigates were intended to enhance air defense, intercept hostile surface combatants, and run patrols, among other purposes. Such missions require them to possess long-range surface-to-surface and surface-to-air missiles. But the Pakistan Navy detected issues with the search and track radars of the ship's FM-90 missile system. They were malfunctioning during high-power transmissions, so the system was unable to lock onto the target and would somehow disable the missile. All 17 defective infrared sensors on all the ships had to be discarded. Another problem involved the ship's main engines. High temperatures from the exhaust can cause them to run at a low speed, as explained by Fabry. A high degree of degradation was noticed in the engine crankcase and liner, which undermined the coolant chemistry in the ships. Lube oil degradation and deterioration of vibration isolators were some other faults in the engines. According to the Eurasia Times, Problems with Chinese-made defense equipment have been well documented. The Pakistan Army used to import VT-4 main battle tanks and heavy artillery guns from Beijing. In February, the country reported quality and reliability problems with these weapons. The Royal Jordanian Air Force and the Bangladesh Air Force claimed similar deficiencies. They both identified performance problems with aircraft procured from Chinese aviation companies. A big change is coming to Ukraine. The Communist Party of Ukraine is now permanently banned in the Eastern European country. Their assets and structural entities have been transferred to the state. The move comes after President Zelensky declared in May that all pro-Russian parties will be illegal. A number of other left-wing parties have been banned as well. Some of those are the Left Opposition, Union of Left Forces, and the Socialist Party of Ukraine. Ukrainian officials have been trying to shut down the Communist Party for years. No right-wing parties were banned for being pro-Russian. That's all for today's China In Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus@ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching and see you tomorrow. Presenting the heritage of traditional Chinese martial arts, promoting martial ethics, and reviving the true tradition.
The 2022 NTD International Traditional Chinese Martial Arts Competition Preliminaries will be held in New York and Taiwan. On August 28th, the finals will be broadcast live online worldwide. Registration hotline 188-477-9228. For more information, please visit martialarts.ntdtv.com.